1: motorsport magazine for the very best in motor racing
2: hello everybody and and welcome again to the motorsport podcast it's great to have you with us and i tell you this time we have a real treat in store for you but i'm not going to tell you who it is until i've told you about our latest subscription offer and as you know this is very important to us because the more of you who subscribe the longer and stronger we will continue And if you don't subscribe, we'll send Jean-Tot to see you, okay? So I hope you'll uh, enjoy our new offer, which means you can save over £52 when you subscribe to Motorsport for two years. In the UK, it means for one year it'll cost you £36.80 and for two years, £67.20. For full details of all these prices around the world, please go to our website, motorsportmagazine.com. And don't forget that when you do subscribe, you get the iPad edition absolutely free. And if you haven't yet seen our iPad edition, I suggest you do. It's absolutely fantastic. There's more in there than there is in the magazine itself. And I will repeat those prices at the end of the show. Anyway, as I said, we're in for a real treat today because uh, we have with us one of the senior citizens of British motor racing, the president himself. The president of the British Racing Drivers Club, a former Superstocks world champion, a Formula 3 champion, when Formula 3 really mattered, of course, blitzed Formula 2 and into Formula 1, a Grand Prix driver, Derek Warwick. Derek, thank you very much for popping in from Jersey to see us today.
3: My pleasure. Always a pleasure.
2: (laughs) Good. Well, that's a good start anyway, isn't it? We'll see what we can do, Derek. Okay. Um, we've got a lot of questions from our readers, which is great news because uh, after all, this is all about you, the readers. It's not just about us lot around this table. Um, but Derek, if I could just get the ball rolling and talk briefly about the current Formula One season. Um, I don't want to talk about tyres because if I hear another word about tyres, I think I'll I don't know what I'll do, but I, one thing that, can I just ask you, it really interested me about Bahrain was, why did the stewards allow all four wheels off the racetrack in an overtaking manoeuvre? I don't I don't get
3: that. Um, because it wasn't Lewis Hamilton pushing the other car off the track. Because ah. I do believe that had it been Lewis in Nico's car, um, he would have got penalised, you know, because people are a little bit anti-Lewis at the moment. Um... I have to say that, um, you know, I've been a steward now for two years and uh, I have to say that we have a lot more camera angles than what you and I saw on the television. So as a, um, a, a Grand Prix Anorak, I only saw what you saw and I thought the Nico situation was too tough. I thought against Alonso it was acceptable even though Alonso didn't yeah. and have tweeted since to say we now have an open book um, yes. that we sh- we're now going to have an interesting season so I think he was warning Nico that he's going to get one back on him um, but the, the, the Lewis thing I just think it was too strong I think he was pushing him too far he knew it was on the outside of him um, and he pushed him right onto the sand, gravel whatever you want to call it but if you saw it in slow-mo Uh, The Armco was just coming out for the relief vehicles, Um, so it could have been a big accident. And and I'm surprised, but knowing that the the stewards that were there, I think the driver steward was Piro. Um, And that does leave a bit of a question mark, I suppose. (laughs) But uh, that aside... um, He's
2: racing, huh? I know, I
3: know. But getting back to the the racing in general, what fantastic year we're having you know I thought last year was good you know yeah sure Vettel walked the season but it never felt during the course of last year that he walked the season you know I was really waiting for the next race and he just scraped pole and he and he was pushed all the way if it wasn't by Weber it was by Lewis or Jensen or somebody or Alonso Um, so it was a great season last year Um, and this year has just been amazing I mean since since China really China and Bahrain um, I think has been um, absolutely fantastic racing you know you know, and and whereas I would quite often watch the race on Sky um, an hour behind so I can fast-forward. Well, actually, I used to fast-forward um, so that I could fast-forward Eddie Jordan. Um, but I don't I, <laughs> I don't need to do that anymore now because I'm on Sky. Um, but you still fast-forward the boring bits. But every time you press the fast-forward button, something else was happening. So um, I've watched both races completely live, and they've
2: been fantastic races. There must have been times that... During your career when you'd quite like to have (laughs) fast-forwarded Certain people, I imagine. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, yeah,
3: I can think of quite a few people, actually, yeah. But, uh, no, the racing has been great. Um, overtaking, I think DRS has been a lot of question marks and a lot of discussion on DRS. Um, I've always thought it been it was going to be a good tool. Um, KERS I'm still a bit confused with because I'm not sure um, sometimes when KERS is working or not because um, I understand that, obviously, the Red Bull has a lot of problem with the KERS. Uh, but I think DRS is great. And when you are in the stewards room um, during practice when they can use um, DRS all the time, um, they are on that DRS button all the time, you know, and it's fa- fascinating to watch. And I just think it's a great tool, you know. And, and somebody says to me the other day, um, it's um, it's fabricating overtaking. Um, but it's no different than, than my day when we had turbos, when we had the Overboost. You know, I used the Overboost to, to overtake cars. Okay, I didn't overtake too many, but um, the, the, that was the principle anyway.
4: <laughs> yeah, the only difference was, though, Derek, when you were using it, if, if he so wanted, the guy you were overtaking could also use it to yes. protect himself.
3: Yeah, that's absolutely true, yeah. yeah are you, are well, you not a fan, then, No, I'm not,
4: no, because, because to me, th- when the car behind has its wing open, those two cars are not in the same spec. And Nobody has got the. And I, and I just think why, if they would just once and for all confront the fundamental problems that aerodynamics present in terms of overtaking, I, I think it's a, it's a. I can't even remember now which which driver it was in when Bahrain? it first came in. No, no, when no. it first started last year, was somebody it might have been might have been Fernando, but somebody anyway. Somebody described it as a gimmick, and I think it's um, it's a sort of artificial means of getting round a problem which, was, which has never really been properly addressed.
3: But, the, but, but to address the problem, um, you've got to take off the aerodynamics. And do we really want to see a Grand Prix car without wings? Because that's really what you have to do.
4: No, although, oddly enough, I was just saying to, um, to Rob um, 10 minutes ago, I remember probably 50, at least 15 years ago, I remember Patrick Head one day saying to me, he did once in a while think to himself, wouldn't it be fun if the FIA just said overnight, right, Next season, you have no wings. Get on with it. Mm.
2: Where would you see, put the sponsors? See, the
4: see what, well, that, well, that was the whole point. That was what Patrick said, that he'd mentioned it to Frank, this, this sort of this idea. And Frank immediately became hysterical at the thought of, you know, of all that advertising space going. But, but, but he what, just said it would be such a challenge. Okay, this is what we got. So... What do we do? There was a year, Nigel.
3: We didn't have front wings. You remember the khaki car, the Williams car with no front wings. Yeah, had so so much downforce. That, that's right. Did they were they the, able to the, run the, closer was, in them days? I can remember. That was
4: eighty-two. Eighty-two. That's right. Um, I think they were because in those days the I mean, so much of the downforce because in those it was just before we had flat bottom Formula One cars. You remember we we so the 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 a lot of the ground Force was still coming from ground effect, from shaped underbodies, uh, which, See, you know, I'm they've confused, always had in I'm confused here, Rob, because
3: I'm such a massive fan of Nigel Roebuck. Um, <laughs> I read everything he, he, he writes, and I love what he writes, but now I, I'm across the table and he's talking rubbish, and, it is a, and, it, and it's, such a, it's such a shame, really. No, I'm, I'm only joking. Um, I, no, I, I kind of disagree, just because I think... If it makes the spectacle better, um, it's good for Formula 1, it's good for um, television, um, and that has to be good for Formula 1. So, um, and, and, I, and I do kind of take your theory, Nigel, except that if we're seeing uh, overtaking, then that same person has the option of doing it the next lap. Yeah,
4: if they, if, if, if they can get stay within one second.
3: Well, then in that case, you shouldn't yeah. be in front of him or
4: behind him. Well, no, all right. <laughs> it is, But I, I mean, for instance, somebody, somebody was making the point about Jensen in Canada last year, which was a, a truly fantastic drive. No one's arguing with it. But everybody, But people were saying, had we not had the RS, you know, probably Jensen wouldn't have won. And Michael probably would have been second, in fact. Um, where, where it offends me most is like Weber's pass of Alonso at Eau Rouge last year was one of those all time shut your eyes and did it really happen moments. Um, just, you know, mind blowing. Yeah, it was exciting, I, I, I thought. I, exciting. I can never remember a competitive pass at Eau Rouge before. But the next lap, you know, they went through Eau Rouge, marks ahead, up the hill to Le Combes, and Alonso just opened his DRS and straight past and, and the whole thing had been for nothing.
3: I do worry that, that, that Formula One gets too plastic, you know, um, with only ma- able to make one move on the straight. Okay, we could argue for safety, it's right. But hey, you know, man up. You know, uh, if, if I want to block you, you know, isn't, isn't that what motor racing was about? You know, and, 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 and there's there's rules coming in, the blue flag rule with the, the slower car they come up to lap to make it obviously so it doesn't interfere with the race. Well in my day you didn't have that of course. You know, you, you, you had to fight your way past um, a back marker. And that kind of made the race more more interesting. And all the rules are really Favouring the the top six drivers yeah, You know because if I was no, a ba- if absolutely. I was a back marker um, I would not be happy that I would have to get out onto all that all those marbles um, And and basically cost me two or three laps Then to clean my tires in order to race with the people that I have to race with you know my my, my, my other Caterums and HRT's and all that sort of stuff so I feel sorry for the back markers because in all these rule changes they are completely forgotten. Yeah. You know they're they're almost unimportant. <laughs> they're for, yeah,
4: they're I,
2: forgotten in general actually. I, I, aren't well they, they well
4: I, they are and I must say I mean I thought what happened in uh, in Malaysia I thought it was was an interesting um, contrast there actually between Jensen and Sebastian. If you remember they both yeah, yeah. they both had moments with Narain Karthikeyan in the race. Um, and I don't know about you but I mean I I thought I thought Carter Cairn was not at fault in either. No, I agree. Um, I agree either, with that. In either incident, he couldn't just disappear, could he? No, he couldn't. And and but I was I was highly impressed that Jensen immediately fronted up and said it was my it, it was not it was me it was me, whereas Sebastian was screaming about it afterwards and saying you know about people like this shouldn't be in Formula One and all. Different the rest people, of it. aren't they? And I what well, I just thought then. Um, just what we're saying, really, about, about the, the 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 backmarkers. It is so easy to bully backmarkers both on the track and, you know, and, and verbally, and I felt very sorry for Karthikeyan. I'm glad he's still to I don't cover think they are being
3: bullied, actually. I, I don't think they've got any option. You know, if they go past three corners with a blue flag, um, they, they either get a drive-through, so it's not being bullied. They, 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 they've actually been taken out of the race. You know, I I think bullying is about when you put pressure on a guy and force him into a mistake um, and then push him out of the way, you know. Yeah. I, I think with the, uh, the Karthikeyan situation, um, you could argue that it would... Was not really his fault with Jensen, but he did move over on on um, Vettel. Uh, sorry, on Vettel. Sorry. Um, if you look at the slow mo and look at the front front um, camera angle, he did come out of that corner and come across the track. I'm not no, saying it's right. No, or wrong, no, no. Yeah, that,
4: that that is true. But uh, but it seemed to me, I must say, watching in the slow mo, that, that at the same moment they, they sort of went towards each other. I think. I think. Carter Cain went slightly right and, and Vettel went slightly left at the same time. i got to s- remember one thing time.
3: here uh, Nigel and that was that if I remember rightly Vettel was racing Carter Cain. didn't he just have a pit stop and he come through and he wasn't lapping him wasn't he yeah, racing him. No he was actually him? he I was think, no, no that's right he was. was. True. He so, was. That's so true. true. So that's quite a different situation yep. he's used to him yep. yeah. popping out of the way yeah, yeah. Um, and now all of a sudden uh, yeah, hey, no, hang that's on That's quite Watching
1: some of the back markers when they get out of the way I mean they get so far out of the way must be losing seconds a lap.
2: That's what Derek saying. Yeah, and it's, that's it's, right. it's,
1: you know, it's, it's too much. But I suppose the thing with vessel and Button is that vessel 's never really had a bad Formula 1 car. And he's never had to dive yeah. out of the way of people. I know, uh, but, you know he was in I Toro think Rosso, but...
2: It, it, used to, it was very exciting. I'm sorry to hark about the old days, but it was really exciting when the leaders came up behind the back mask because you thought right who's going to make the best job of this uh, yeah, you know absolutely. who's going to go left right who's going to but
3: we all remember um monaco uh when i think it was courtard or somebody being held up for 28 30 laps by oh, the arrows geez. yes yes, Binaldi, wasn't it? yes Binaldi. Binaldi. Binaldi, yeah. Yeah. i mean that is just outrageous yeah. you know it is absolutely outrageous so so we've sort of gone too far maybe for to cure the problem
1: but you had yeah. a few drivers yeah. in the 80s who were known as blockers like you know the News and the chesars of this world were well i mean the original one was
4: the, the first one was mike boitler hmm. mike beutler 's nickname was blocker yes. and, and at the time it was he was given that name because at the time everybody thought what he was doing was completely you know beyond the pale
3: But I I think, um, you know, and and again, I agree with you, Rob, we shouldn't go back to the old days when when I raced, we should be talking about um, um, present day, but I I do, and I hope this comes out the right way, um, we remembered when we got blocked. We remembered when um, uh, our best qualifying lap got held up by even a front runner, whether it was Ayrton or De Cesaris or whatever. You know, there, there, there was always those um, uh, those rumours that uh, drivers used to put a, a black mark on the sun visor. Um, and you did remember. And, and we made sure we got even, if not the next race, the race after that. And, and, and that's why people respected each other, because they, kn- they knew that if they, they blocked me. They had one coming um, before the end of the season.
4: But you see, I think that mentality still uh, has always applied and still does apply in NASCAR, doesn't it? I mean, they, they still work to those rules. Um, and they all accept it yeah. and they all know boy you know um, what's coming to me <laughs> which is later. the other
3: day somebody got i, I forget the two drivers um, but he put them in the wall and afterwards when he was interviewed he said that was for charlotte last <laughs> right. year yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so so yeah he yeah. used his opportunities <laughs> yes, yes, yes 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 oh we love yeah. nascar
2: yeah no, yeah, yeah, yeah. NASCAR. oh we do yeah did you ever think about doing it
3: because um, you, it would be not NASCAR. It. No, I, I, I went and drove the Pennzoil um, for Rob, not Rob Hall, Jim Hall, um, in the end of '92, and I was going to make a switch to Indy cars in '93. Um, I ro- I drove at Mid Ohio in the Andretti car, uh, not raced. This was just testing. Uh, two days there, um, really, really quick, really pleased. Um, Jim wanted me to um, sign for '93. And before I'd left, um, Eddie Jordan came on the phone and said, um, I want you to, to drive for me for 93. And at the same time, so did um, Jackie Oliver. Um and I quite I went I went to see Oliver um and footwork and I quite liked what he uh what he had there. Eddie as usual was a bit fluffy and you weren't really sure whether you were gonna actually get the drive or not. Um and Formula One was always my life and um so I made the decision to come back with and race footwork in uh, in ninety three. So I would have gone indie cars with hindsight i'm really glad i didn't because i think i think me and those walls might have um might have had a bit of an argument during the course of the season
4: can you remember what that car was like to drive because you remember when Ayrton had, had a day in um in uh, in a factory Pensky when he was disillusioned with the state of formula one um yeah. at the end of end of 92 um and his great mate emerson said well you know come and have a go in my car and 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 Ayrton drove it and absolutely adored it, because he because the Formula One cars at the time had every gizmo going, and 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 Ayrton just said this is this is a human's car.
3: Yeah, it was. And a d- lot
4: of power, and you know.
3: Now, I thought it was a bit like driving a bucket you know you could, you kind of felt that it was big it was made for all shapes and sizes of, of driver it was you know it was a production car and I was so used to having a little little car made for me um, that getting out there just seemed like I was going back in time because for sure the technology as you just rightly said um, was like going back five years yeah. you know and, and that kind of appeals to some people more than others you know
4: well Eli the fact that he didn't have traction control Um, it had a a gearbox that he had to operate Um, you know and and a lot of power at the same time it's amazing if you'd gone
2: to indie racing in 93 you'd have been racing against Nigel Mansell
4: so you would Oh, God, I've gone
2: all hot again <laughs> <laughs> but
1: you, you, you must have got used to in your career um, going from as you say sort of production type racing cars because you did lots of sports cars as well um, mixing between Formula 1 and sports cars and that's the same sort of thing isn't it, you're getting into a car that's built for all sorts of different people and,
3: uh, Yeah but it was still built um, uh, for you what I mean by that is, 86. Um, when I had a year out when the the whole Ayrton center thing um, happened at the end 85, um, I was without a drive in 86. So to, so obviously I signed for uh, for Jaguar. Uh, but the car was, although you're right, it's made for all shapes and sizes. It was still a Pacific car. It wasn't a production car that was made for. Twenty teams. It was your car, your team, yeah. you know, and it was the same in '91, and the same with with Jaguar again when I signed for Jaguar in '91, and it was the same in in um, uh, in '92 with Peugeot. Um, I suppose you could argue that the 956 and 962 Porsche was a production car which I drove, um, and yeah, not the safest cars in the world. But and uh, those
1: late, late Group C cars you drove, the Jag and the the Peugeot, they were they were better than most of the Grand Prix cars you drove weren't they (laughs) Uh,
3: by a country mile (laughs) somebody said to me the other day um, what was the worst car you ever drove and I said well how long have you got you know I mean I I do have a top 10 and I just in the top 5 I still keep moving around in my own mind no I I was lucky I drove the the best sports cars or one of the best sports cars in 86 Um, just missed the world championship by 2 points Um, um because the car went on, on uh, uh, 10 cylinders at the end of the race um, I finished second in 91 um, because I got disqualified from a win at Silverstone um, and won it in 92 so great cars to drive really fun to drive, hard work um, long slogs I just adored long distance racing, uh, I thought the 6 hour races and the, in particular Le Mans, I, wou- I would go back and race Le Mans now, really? just because I just I just love I love the the teamwork I love driving through the night I did triple stints at night I love the rain I love the sun coming up in the morning I love smelling the bacon in the morning it was just it was just all um, I I think I, I think the reason I really love sports car racing was because, as you just said, I always had the good cars. So, you know, for me, winning's always been easy. Um, Losing's difficult, you know, and when you're in a bad car and running at the back of the grid or even running mid-grid, like we quite often did, um, that's hard work, you know, get yourself up and get back into the car for the next race Knowing full well that you were two seconds off pace. That was tough But you know to get back in the car knowing you can put it on pole and win the race again Like I like the sports cars. Uh, that was cool. It was I enjoyed that
4: Well, so Derek just while you while you're on there talking about the worst car you ever drove w- w- do you I mean if you mentioned say to Jackie Stewart he immediately says his Matra ms80 and he won his first championship in which is your if you have a favorite car Where does the Peugeot come for instance?
3: Um, fa- favorite car I, I think was probably 84 Renault, you know, because that car was capable of winning, it was quite unreliable, but it was a winning car. So I enjoyed 84, um, I enjoyed 89, um, the little um, Ross Brawn Arrows, a supercar, um, could have won Canada, and had we had a bit more money, could have won, you know, could have been on the podium quite a few times, um. The XJR 14 Jaguar 91, what a car! I mean, that had so much downforce; it was fantastic. Um, And I preferred that to the Peugeot of 92 for sure. Yeah, definitely. I just
4: wonder the the Peugeot always looked such a sort of small, light, you know, um, manageable car. XJR 14. Yeah. Really? Wow. Really. You know, it just—it was just superb. I, I remember
3: the first day we we tested it uh, or, or, uh, or or shook it down was on the South Circuit at Silverstone, and on the old South Circuit, um, just before the temporary pits, was a fast flat right-hander. Well, actually, it wasn't flat, but um, I did the um, water, uh, the installation lap. And I just, as I went back out again, I thought, what is this car all about? Mm -hmm. And as I went through the kink, on the first flying lap, I was flat. And and I remember laughing like hell because Ross and everybody that was in the temporary pits ducked behind the barrier because they thought the throttles had stuck open. It was phenomenal, right from out of the box, just amazing. And, um, And the Persia was great and I loved it and it won a lot of races for me, won Le Mans and the World Championship. So it was difficult for me not to put it up there. Um, But it was still a big old heavy gearbox and hard heavy brakes and just hard. It was hard work to drive, really hard work to drive. But if we then start talking on the other end of the scale, worse cars. Right, okay. Seven nine two March, almost destroyed my career. Um, because then to get the 80 Tolman was pretty, uh, I, I put a lot of work in getting that, that drive together. So 792 was, was shite. Um, 81, 82, Tolman, flying pig, um, has to rank up there amongst the best, or the worst. Um, 85 was the probably the biggest, biggest disappointment because the middle of 84, um, I'd had a one year contract with Renault, Um, The car was good, almost won the first race, um, but you just felt that in them days um, that you had to stay with the manufacturer. And if I may remind you at this point, Nigel, um, I debated long and hard um, at the British Grand Prix in 84 as to what I should do with furthering my career. I had an offer from Williams for the 85 season or to stay with a manufacturer and um, Alan Henry, um, Nigel Roebuck, um, uh, it was, it was Morris. A, Morris Hamilton. We sat along that table um, and we discussed and looked at all the pros and cons and we, between us, all <laughs> said that we should stay with a manufacturer. And, uh, and I think, it. Worked. I mean, even with hindsight now, if I go back and think about it, it was the right thing to do. What happened, was at the end of 84 um, we lost Michel Tetou, our our um mechanical engineer amizio aerodynamicist um, laroust team manager and a couple of other key guys we lost about five key guys so when we went to uh, build the 85 car um they were way down the pecking order the car was just impossible to drive we took it to brazil at the beginning of 85 and it was three and a half seconds slower than the 84 car um and it was a disaster so that was that was 85 definitely ranks up up there um if i
4: can interject to this point but <laughs> you're not going to spoil a good story no are you? no 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 not at all no the only the all i would say to you is you are entirely right in your memories <laughs> but the only thing to bear in mind is if you remember when we were having that discussion, do you remember what a terrible, terrible car the Williams yes. was in 1984? It was yes. the last aluminium car, in fact, yeah, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. It was the last pre-carbon
3: and the Honda uh, engine Williams. didn't look particularly good. Uh, the at that stage. Honda
4: engine was either on or off. Exactly. And Keki had that win in Dallas, but yep. that was lucky. It was. I mean, it was a brilliant drive, but it was. You know, yep. if ever that that car and the engine combination was not going to win anywhere, it would have been there. But so he, won that, uh, he, won
3: he won that race because uh, I I crashed. Broke Nigel up. broke down. Prost
4: crashed. Yeah. Nikki. Yeah, crashed. Exactly. The track broke up, didn't it? The yeah. Track broke up. Yeah. And the amazing thing about it also is, if you remember, Arnaud was second coming from the back in the Ferrari. Right. Who would have bet on Arnaud staying on the <laughs> track <laughs> yes. all what day? What is the point that you're making in defence of no, your oh, Only, you only that <laughs> at the time, when Alan and Morris and I were talking this through with, with Derek, it did seem as though, and, and Renault at that time was in good shape too. So, with all the
3: facts I've I, I had at the thought time, thoughts. it was still the right, right choice. You know, I, I don't regret it at all, Nigel. I'm, not, I'm only joking, really. I mean, I don't regret it, and I've never regretted any bad decisions that I've ever made in my life. You know, they were right at the time, um, and, okay, some people, some drivers, um, seem to always be able to turn right at the right time and some drivers have this uncanny knack of turning left at the wrong time you know so it's it's just one of those things yeah
4: and as it was of course when you turned frank down and he signed
2: oh
3: my god you're gonna say it again aren't you of course (laughs) nothing
4: nothing came of that did it no
2: no (laughs) i've got to ask you derek um one of the things that's very interesting about your whole amazing career bearing in mind how much you've done is that you really came up the hard way it sounds like a cliche but you know a lot of work went into it formula ford formula 3 i mean you were working as well as racing and all of that and when in formula one were you ever tempted to take the money as it were i mean how much of a factor did the money become for you because it seems to me formula one is a hell of a lot about that
3: 81 i earned 36 grand I um, uh, earned a few extra bob in, in 82. Um in, in 83, I was on just less than £60,000. So, you know, nothing at all. And then all of a sudden, Renault came along in 84 and offered me a pot of gold. And I do remember that when the contract came through by Telex, uh, when the contract came through, we got very, very drunk that night.
4: LAUGHTER <laughs>
3: and uh, it was it was the basis of our decision uh, to move to jersey and um which was another great decision i made to be fair um and i moved to jersey jam 185 um and i've uh, been there now 27 28 years and um i absolutely love the place so um yeah i mean i think i think a part of that decision in 84 that we, we spoke about with Nigel just now, um, they were offering me an amazing amount of money for 85. And I, and I do try and think back and, and think whether or not that did sway my decision to stay with Renault instead of going to, um, uh, to Williams, which was much less money. And, and, I, and, and I do c- quite often think about that. And I have to say that it didn't you know it was I have my three ex- Journalist friends, um, <laughs> and um, and I think we made the decision for the right reason because at the time it was right to be with a manufacturer. You know, we didn't know those five key people were going to go. Um, you know, I think that if if I knew that the Williams was going to win, um, I would have gone there for nothing. Right, winning is okay. what it's all about. Yeah, it's just interesting. You know, that. and I always remember. I think it was Nicky who said, um, "Don't worry about the money, just worry about the winning, because if you win, the money will come."
4: The other thing was, of course, you—you know—who knew when you resigned with Ranno, they were going to pull the plug at the end of '85. So, um,
2: I'm going to take—if this is all right with you, Mr. Editor—I'm going to take a few readers' questions because, uh, for obvious reasons, and um, the first one comes from Phil Beckett, and um, he'd like to know, Derek, what you were thinking after the Monza 1990 accident um, when you. Typically of you, actually, I thought <laughs> got out, ran back looking for the uh, another car to race. W- w- were you actually pff, a bit out of it? At the
3: no, time? not at all. Um, I was too close to Guzman. Or I can't remember one of the one of the. Um, uh, I think it was Guzman in the uh, Leighton House. Leighton House. Well done, thank you. Yeah. In the Leighton House, in front of me, uh, understeered off the car uh, off the track, um, going through uh, the parabolica um, on the first lap, um, but. I, did, I, I had a, a, a sick sense that it was going to be a big accident because we were just three quarters round the, round the parabolica. So when I, when I went off and hit the barrier, it was a, I knew it was going to be a big hit. And there's a lot of little things flash between you know, they say that uh, things flash between your uh, uh, in your mind uh, when something big's going to happen. And they did. And there was a lot of little things that happened. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, ripped off the left hand side of the car as we all know um, barrel rolled onto the circuit then everything went slow motion as i'm going down um, on my helmet basically um, down the side of the circuit it was probably still traveling at 800 miles an hour or whatever i'm thinking first of all this hurts because my head was bouncing on the tarmac so I, had the, the, I, I, was, I was still awake enough to pull my head and keep my head off off the tarmac then I thought I've got 220 litres in here and uh, if somebody hits me at the bottom of the car this thing is gonna, gonna catch fire turned off the engine um, turned off the engine, pulled the fire extinguisher pulled off the steering wheel and kept the steering wheel in my hands because I thought when this thing stops I want out of here. So as the car stopped I thought I counted to like 10 seconds because I knew there was like I don't know 15, 18 cars behind me so I thought I'd let all them go but when I looked at the TV obviously there were still cars coming by when I was still trying to get out and then when I got out of the car um, I looked back at the car. A little bit unsteady at, at, at first, but I looked back at the car and thought, we can't swear on, tel- on this. Can, can we swear?" No. I don't think I can use this word. Um, <laughs> well, give it a try. Yeah, give it a try. It started with an F, anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> I thought this car is effed, and um, I then turned round. I thought I'm at the entrance. If I can get back to my car um well I, I, I in my subconscious I knew they'd have to throw a, a, a red cu- a red flag there's just no way they could race I knew then I had 15 minutes to get back into the pits get into the spare car and and get out so I started to run, um, going back to the, the... First of all, I ran into the um, Arrows garage, because obviously, you know, i <laughs> raced Arrows for three years. Um, and, and I heard somebody say, no, the next one. So I ran in there, and in my mind, I knew that Set 11 was my second best set of tyres. So I went into the garage, screamed at them, Set 11. By that time, they were already preparing the car. And one of the engineers wanted my helmet and I'm thinking he wants me to stop racing, so I said no, 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 but of course they saw that half of it had ground right away, so took the helmet, I've changed the helmet um, and got into the car before anybody could get hold of me, you know I knew I had to get into that car, so I got into that car and clamped it all down and it was only the reality of what, what I did when I come round, when I did that, the, the lap to the grid because all the Italian fans were up in the stands, they were waving flags, and they were just so proud of, of, of what I did, I suppose. So it gave me a good feeling. Anyway, get back to the grid, get into my, my place again, and um, someone came over and said, um, uh, Prop Watkins wants to see you. So I got out of the car, went, went in sat. In the-
0: hey, everyone. so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
3: Back of the car with Prof Watkins, front door opened and a little, little guy came in the front, Bernie. And um, he sat in the front and Prof Watkins said to me, name? I said, uh, Nelson Piquet. He said, he said, no, Derek, he said, I'm being serious, I want your name. I said, Nigel Mansell. And, and we went on like this. And Bernie, Bernie turned around in his typical aggressive way. If you don't tell him what's going on, he said, you're not going to race. So obviously, you know, I told him everything. <laughs> and, uh But you know what, though, I think um, uh, two things that came out of that was one is when I looked at um, a slow mo um, of the race afterwards, and somebody was uh, with a camera at the front of the car when I was in, got back into the spare car.
2: Yeah, I saw this. My eyes
3: were like teapots, you know. I mean, and I just think there's no way I should have raced. I started off with a massive headache, and when the clutch went on the fortieth lap. I almost clapped. I mean, I was just, you know, I was, I (laughs) was tired in the car. I wasn't happy with myself, and no way I should have raced, you know. So, but anyway, you know, that's just the stupid things you do at the time. Have you you still got the helmet?
1: I think there's someone. Someone was asking. Yeah, no, I have. Yeah,
3: no, I've got the helmet. I've got the helmet. I've got um, when I went upside down at um, Hockenheim, uh, went into the gravel. Um, You know, I mean, when I think about it now, I, I. I hate it because people remi- remi- rem- remember me of my, my crashes and not my wins.
2: Well,
3: I, really, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well I, I, I tell you,
4: I, rem- I remember that day so well because I mean, it was one of those accidents where, of course, you know everybody sort of went, oh, Jesus Christ. I mean, it was, doesn't need to be repeated. It was a huge, huge hunt. But when you, when you got out the car and then started coming back to the pits, I remember that wall of sound from the from the grandstands yeah. i mean i've i've rarely heard anything but also as, as, from the mechanics all the yeah, mechanics yeah, yeah, came out yeah, to yeah, the pit yeah, lane and yeah. was clapping me yeah, you know that's true. Just,
3: i mean i'm feeling a bit emotional just thinking about it yeah yeah know? yeah, yeah. yeah. my, my yeah. mother never spoke to me for about a month after that you know that is that right yeah
4: she really? was so
3: upset that i was stupid enough, enough to to get t- back into the, to get spare the other car, car you yeah know.
4: yeah
2: bit of superstocks racing was Upside down quite a lot, really. Yeah. yeah.
4: And unconscious a few times as well. Yeah. But not a parabolicist, do you No, <laughs> not a parabolicist. <laughs> anyway
3: I, uh, I do I do remember getting um bam for three months in uh, when I was first racing superstocks, stocks uh, I was at Autoshot Stadium and I was uh, white top, I that right at the start of the uh, of the train, if you like, and start the, the the front of the grid rather. And um, and I led uh, probably eight or ten races up until the last lap. Then the red tops would catch me up, and the, the three guys from Reading, Tony May, Jeff Gerrard, Alan Freebody, would put me in the fence on the last lap, last corner, and win the race. So after about the eighth or tenth time, um, I was only 16, you know, I was young, but I was still quite quick, um, I obviously winning, trying to win a race. And Tony May put me into the um, fence on the last corner, last lap at Autoshot. So I backed the car out, and by this time <laughs> he'd come round, taken the checkered flag, and then they used, we used to do a lap of honour, still strapped in the car, um, with a checkered flag, waving the checkered flag. As he went up the back straight, I thought, right. I went across the centre reservation and as he, came up, as he came then, I hit him in the side of the car, barrel rolled him <laughs> over the top of the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the, the fence onto the dog track. <laughs> and and <laughs> there he was, in a massive heap, almost next to the spectator enclosure. And, um, and I got banned for three months. And uh, when I came back, nobody yeah. touched me no. so you know that was uh, so you were born
1: for NASCAR <laughs> you were born for NASCAR, <laughs> born for NASCAR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, future driver yeah. steward and future president of the BRDC yeah. yeah, I know <laughs> I know
3: I know yeah I hand the, I hand the badge in next week
2: <laughs> I still I still think that's one of the best motor racing stories I I, think it's like, I remember you telling me this a long time ago I love it
4: Uh <laughs> Okay, uh, sorry. Right. Um, Actually, I remember. Uh, I wasn't there, but I, forgive me. Excuse me. I just remember the incident of the Nurburgring with, you know, the man who became the most successful Grand Prix driver of all time. Do you remember? Ninety-one. Quentin Sperring told me this story when he was walking through the paddock and he perceived he uh, Michael Schumacher ran past oh, him yes. traveling at about <laughs> yes. 80 miles an hour oh, yes. yeah. followed after about 30 seconds by you and he's he's described how you looked a, at there's a moment. big story
3: <laughs> to this though nigel if you remember rightly my brother was killed um 10 days before um we buried him um on the friday i went into court with some di- some directors that were uh, uh, we had a few problems with within my business on the monday morning and um, I'd already made a promise to my um, uh, to my mother that I wasn't going to race anymore. You know, the little brother just been killed, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there was a lot of emotion flying around the Warwick household. And then um, Walkinshaw rang me and said, look, Derek, are you racing? You're not going to race. There's Green's coming up. Um, and I said, you know what, um, Tom, I'm not really sure. Um, he said, well, look, I'm going to... Um, take the cars to the A1 ring in Austria, and um, we will do a test there. Um, and we'd like you to come along and see whether you still want to do it. So I had a big meeting with the family, and um, they were really, really upset. But I said, I'm going to go and do this test." So, and, and the, I, I want to give the background to leading up to Nurburgring. Um, and then I got to Nurburgring, um, went out the first day. Uh, well, well, first of all, went to see my mechanics on arrival and I've never seen so much um, uh, emotion in all my life because all my mechanics just didn't know how to handle it like you know anyway went out the first day reasonably quick um, did a few tests uh, ran all day and then we put some different dampers on at the end and the rear dampers um, broke going into the Bosch curve and I did about five 360's at about 210 miles an hour ended up in the gravel, got out of the car, still actually I was a bit emotional, crying got into the IR car went back, I had a big long chat with myself that night, up all night um, and I had two options, pat my bag, leave or, or drive the next day, the next day got in the car never thought about it anymore and from that day onwards I locked Paul in a little safe in the back of my head um, and I never allowed him out until Monday morning so I got to Nürburgring, I went on pole um, Schumacher took pole, I took pole back again Schumacher went back out, took pole, I had one new set of tyres left knew that he had already done his lap so he was doing a um, a fans lap afterwards, trying to be fast, trying to look quick but it never was I bolted him a little bit um, going out onto the back straight um, sort of tried to get out of his way but didn't really so coming out of the corner he cut across my nose and took my left front tyre um, off the Jaguar so I was absolutely furious so I'm now driving this car back on three wheels um, trying to get back to the pits and as I get back to the pits, um, as I get past the Mercedes um, garage or Salba. Um, I'm still, I'm getting out of the car and the car's still doing like 50 mile an hour (laughs) and and I jumped on the car, almost fell over, um, the mechanics are rushing um, to to stop the car and one of them trying to hold me, took my helmet off, threw my helmet in the corner, ran into the the Sauber Mercedes um, garage, I didn't know at that time it was Michael and uh, Schlescher was taking his helmet off, one of the other drivers for the Sauber Mercedes, was taking his helmet off. So as he's taking his helmet off, I'm winding a right hook to take his head off, and, and he turns round, and he just says, no Derek, no Derek, he said, Schumacher! <laughs> and, with the, and with this, and with this, Schumacher is running out the corner of the garage. So I take off after him, um, we go out of the garage, people are pulling on me, and I'm, I'm elbowing them, and all sorts of things. Go out of the garage, into their transporter, out of the transporter, back out through, into the back of another transporter and he goes into the front of the transporter where there's a, um, a, like a massage table. And then he tries to shut the door on me. So I put my foot in, barge the door open, now I've got him over the massage table, and again I'm just about to give him one, when, when I've got Jochen Mass, I think it was, it was another one of their drivers, holding me back. Slasher out of the corner saying, hit him, hit him. (laughs) And I thought, I thought, you know, I mean now with hindsight, it was a very funny situation. But, and um, anyway, we went to the stewards room again. And um, they never did nothing with me because I think they understood the emotion I was going through. And they said to Michael um, that they wouldn't let him race unless he went down and apologized to me. He came down to me on Sunday morning never looked me in the eyes and mumbled something like sorry not look mate you know really really sorry your brother was killed ten days ago you know anything I can do which which is what I think anybody in this room would do Um, and I think then you realised that Michael was just a bit different and in a good way is not just a bad way Um, I think Michael was a bit different
2: you know what though, Derek maybe had you beaten him up (laughs) uh, you know he, might, him up. he, he <laughs> well, sad, I don't think there would have been any question him racing if you had, he, had he, <laughs> might, he no quite but he might have uh, he might have been a different person later on who knows i did win the race by the way yes <laughs> quite and, and 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 every and everybody on the planet was delighted that you did i got to say anyway look um, the time is going so fast i just wanted to take a question from Piers Ruthven, Piers Ruthven, and I think I like this Christian. He, he, he wants your recollections of driving the nineteen eighty six Brabham in qualifying trim, because uh, that was about as quick as cars ever got, wasn't it? I forgot to mention that in my
3: world's worst cars, didn't I? Because that was that was yeah, pretty yeah. bad, to be honest. Um, you know when when Bernie rang me and asked me if I um, w- would would come and drive for him, um, and, the, and the, the the reason Bernie said one of the main reasons he uh, um, he asked me to drive that car was because when Elio was killed in um, in Ricard in that test, he said within an hour of of him having that accident he had drivers ringing him up um to take his drive and he just said you know he said i understand drivers have to be um that sort of person if you like he said but there's a time you know there's a time and i never ever called him i just thought it was the wrong time eventually he called me and and called me over and we did the deal and uh i do remember the negotiations because i sat in the room with bernie by the time i got there um i kind of pumped myself up to thinking, Brabham need me, Bernie Eccleson needs me, BMW need me, the whole team needs me. So by the time I got there, I was worth 50 million quid. You know, I mean, I just, I just, uh, anyway, I got to the negotiations side and uh, Bernie said, um, he said, oh, this is the contract. And to be fair to him, it was Elio's contract Complete um, and less five sixteenths because um, obviously five races had gone already. And I said, Oh, Bernie, I said, you misunderstand. I said, You know, dead man's seat. I've got to pump the team up. I've got to do this, got to do that, and do that. And Bernie said, it was quite easy. He said, um, he said, You don't understand, Derek. And he slammed the contract down again this is the contract. <laughs> so I signed it. Um, so, uh, so I signed it and, um, and that was it really. And uh, the car was, um, because it was a lay down car, it was, it was a bit like a chewing gum um, and it was flexing all over the place and it was just horrible. The engine was sort of let down. Oh, I mean, it's a beautiful looking car but I kind of thought in the back of my head that I thought, well, okay, the car's shite but... I've got Gordon Murray. You know, he has that Midas touch that he would put um, a set of XYZ springs, a different roll bar, and the next thing you know is I've won the next Grand Prix by five, five laps. Um, but by that time, um, he had lost a little bit of focus, shall we say, um, and enthusiasm, and he was away with the fairies at this stage, and um, not really a help at all. But um, So when I got into the car, it was a bit disappointing, um, but I will still say to this day, the Brabham BMW in qualifying was the most exhilarating car I've ever driven in my life. We had something like 1350 horsepower, the wastegate was just taken off and a blanking paint put on, and it, you just had a 7-speed gearbox, um, we went up 1500 revs in every single gear for qualifying, this was at Monza I remember in particular, and I was on the rev limiter just past the pit exit. So I, I just could not change gear quick enough and and as you 're changing gear you 're smiling because <laughs> you 're thinking, "Wow, I just couldn 't keep up with the with, with the car. It was just fantastic and the, you know the you, you talk about um, you know then you had to get it into the corners and you had one lap qualifiers, yeah. thirteen hundred and fifty horsepower. it was just fantastic and I remember again that same old corner I got into the parabolica on um, my one qualifying lap and the thing just went
2: ooh,
3: bang and I remember with, they couldn't take the gearbox off the engine because the engine was in two halves and uh, no it was a fantastic and an amazing uh, just an experience it wasn't a good car no, uh, sure. but an amazing experience
2: yeah,
3: yeah, yeah. I mean yeah. just, just brute brutal. Yeah. none yeah. of yeah. us
2: can, can I, well I can imagine you know what it must have felt like um let's talk a little bit about the brdc derek if we can um mr president after all um i mean this is a fantastic thing for you because i know i know how much you care about it and um one of our readers here uh it's neil kirby actually says you know congratulations um but now you're in this position of power um can we have the old woodcut back please
3: (laughs) no not anymore no um Yeah I mean I'm very proud um, to be president of the BIDC. Um, It took me a while to accept the role um, because I felt that stepping in after first of all Sir Jackie Stewart and then Damon who had done an absolutely marvellous job um, for the club over the last four or five years um, it was something that was just a little bit past me. I thought that the shoes were just a little bit too big um, and it wasn't a role that was really made for Derek Warwick um, because um, two things really. One is um, I've lost a bit of confidence in uh, speaking at awards and all that sort of stuff. It's easy when you're a racing driver to speak because you've only got to mention carbon fiber three times and you can get through a whole speech. You know. But when, when you're not a racing driver anymore, you've got to start making sense. You know. And I've never been one for making sense. So you know, I just thought it was a step too far. Um, and also I didn't think I had enough credibility Um, to um, uh, my profile wasn't big enough you know I hadn't won world championships in terms of Formula 1 anyway in Grand Mm Prix and I just thought anyway anyway the the board put massive pressure on me um, because I thought I was the right person and I did have the credibility Within our industry, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I think I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I eventually um, took the role um, because I'm passionate about the British Racing Drivers Club. Um, it's a great club. Um, you know, it's a difficult club because you've got. 800 members, you're never going to please everybody a bit like you wanting the old woodcoat back Um, you know things have moved on, it's a commercial uh, business, um, it's a very marginal business you know the Grand Prix's are only real big profit opportunity um, and and that's getting less and less with the sanction fees from Bernie Um, uh, but I think all in all we we delivered the, the new Uh, pit and paddock which is the wing obviously a year um, ahead of its time Um, we are still developing Silverstone as we speak Um, we've just got planning permission which is called the master plan um, which is uh, um, giving us an opportunity uh, to talk to um, third-party investors um, which we're doing at the moment and um, we're in the middle of negotiations for that at the moment um, we've got a lot of exciting things that can happen if we can find some outside investors hotels, museums, walk of fame international kart circuit, um, uh, debenture grandstands um, there's lots of things that we would like and can do um, but you know at the moment we have gone out a little bit on a limb. We um, have huge borrowings for the first time um, at the BIDC, um, but we. What is sorry? Can you explain that? Uh, we well, where where we've had to, we we've spent something like about twelve million on the circuit. Um, we've obviously put the new wing up. Um, we've used the the cash. funds that we've already got so we've had to borrow money in order to complete the the project so um, it's affordable we can still run we're we're in profit um, it's a marginal business um, we don't have to sell we'd like to sell we'd like to find an investor we don't have to find an investor um, so we're in a very fortunate situation Um, having said that we're also lucky that we've got three great British drivers at the moment, um, two of which are 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 ex-world champions, and that really puts the cream on the gate, you know, I think without them, you know, we might get 80,000 people, with them we get 100,000 people, and that's the 20,000 that really gives us the profit, so, um, you know, we're really always looking for... Um, the next Lewis Hamilton and Jensen Button. Um, we've got good young driver programmes with the rising stars and our superstars. And um, we work really, really hard, or I work really, really hard, um, trying to keep all those um, balls in the, in the air. And to be honest, it's an enormous amount of work. I don't get paid not one penny. Um, I don't even claim expenses um, because I feel that this is Derek Warwick. Paying back motorsport um, for a wonderful, wonderful career.
4: Was it a consideration when they were, when when you were, as you say, you were sort of trying to make up your mind whether to do it or not? Was that something that concerned you—the sheer amount of time you would have to give it, and whether whether you had that amount of time available?
3: Um, I had I, already committed by that time because I was—I've been a director now for five and a half years, um, and I've been on the club committee for two years. So I really know what Silverstone's about. I know what the BIDC's is about. I know what members um, like and dislike. Um, so I'd already spent all that time, um, uh, and I—and and you know—as well as anybody, Nigel, uh, the busier you are, the more you can do. You know, and 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 I have you know i have got a garage in in jersey i've got a race team in australia um i've got three building companies in the uk um we 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 just started work on three sites over here residential um I'm building two big 10 million pound houses in Jersey. Um, I employ uh, probably 150 people. Um, and um, I I get into work at, at, at quarter to seven every single day of my life. And I'm never home before quarter past six. So, you know, I'm still working hard. Um, BIDC is probably <coughs> between 60 and 75% of that work.
2: Because, mm, really uh, really yeah, really yeah right. I
3: mean, if I open my email now, I've probably got 50 emails um to yeah. to to look at. So yeah, yeah. I haven't got a PA, I do it all myself. I've got a I've got a wonderful um uh, administration infrastructure um, within the Honda garage in in Jersey, and that I use for the BIDC stuff, and as well as Stuart Pringle, Becky Sims, and the people at the the club office. So um, I'm well organised. You know, I am 21st century. I've got all the mod cons, and um, uh, and um, life's good
2: i tell you what i think that is that is exactly why it was such a great appointment <laughs> no i do I my,
3: my wife would disagree with that
1: i'm afraid yeah.
2: <laughs> yes i know she <laughs> Derek,
1: what do you but think she's about, not here though is she what do you think about when you see bahrain and there were supposed to be apparently twenty-eight thousand people uh watching claimed. the grand prix claimed, claimed. 28,000 people. Um, Silverstone last year, I think the official figure for Sunday was 122,000. What what do you think about the way that um, Formula One has gone in terms of these races?
3: Well, you you understand the reasons why they've gone this way, because these guys are paying big, enormous sanction fees. And at the end of the day, Bernie, um, CVC um, are there to make money. So you understand that, but they've got to be careful because the heart of Formula One is the European races. It is Silverstone, it is Monza, it is Monaco, Hockenheim, Nürburgring. Um, uh, we haven't got a French Grand Prix. Ridiculous. Okay, we're talking about it at the moment. Spa, you know, they are the heart. I remember Bernie once saying, manufacturers will come and go, teams will stay. Sa- he should apply the same yeah. philosophy with circuits because if he keeps and fans ta- and fans because yeah. if he keeps taking uh, g- uh, making formula one too expensive for us um uh, making us spend too much money on the facilities we will go you know there, there's a lot of lot, lot of um um circuits out there that are being supported and what i talk about spa Monza, uh, Nurburgring, Hockenheim—that have got some kind of um, uh, um, government money or local area money. We haven't. We haven't. We have not got one penny. So you know, we do a great job. I think with Richard Phillips and his team does a great job uh, filling the, the seats and the grandstands. But you've got uh, countries like Bahrain coming to us, asking us. How to fill their grandstands? How to make motor racing attractive to their fans? So we're helping. We're, we're helping Austin at the moment. We've helped Abu Dhabi. Uh, we put a team over there to to get them going. We, Silverstone is used quite a lot by other circuits um, to to sort out their infrastructure.
1: At the at the times when you feel as though the Formula One race. Um, is, is a bit of a sort of ball and chain in terms of, you know, running the circuit and things because, because, just because of the cost. I mean, heaven forbid we lost the British Grand Prix, but um, there must be times when you think, God, if we didn't have to spend this much on the F1 race, we'd be in profit by, you know, almost double.
3: You know, I, I think it goes back to what I've just said, really. You know, when Bernie cut out Silverstone um, and was going to Donington, I, I was just outraged, you know. I, I was outraged because I knew the sanction fee that Donington had agreed to, and I knew it just couldn't work. It was impossible to work, so it was a pie in the sky. And 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 I don't know whether it's because Bernie's had a little bit of um, bad blood with BIDC, because I think he did back no, yeah, he did, back yeah. in the day. Yeah. But you know, my my advice to um, oh, no advice is the wrong word. I'd like to say to Bernie we're now in the 21st century move on man up you know we're here to stay we are 21st century um company um i.e silverstone bidc forget what happened you know what happened with a load of old members um that's water under the bridge you know let's move on and i'd love to sit down with them and have this kind of conversation wouldn't we all and, and and just see whether or not he's still the same person that i signed for in 86 because let me tell you in 86 he was even then misread he loves his motor racing yeah. this is an 86 he's an absolute racer at heart um is that gone out of him i don't think so i think I think all the problems that that, that just business, life, media, you guys create for him, us, them, everybody, um, just takes it away. But yeah, I think our sanction fee is too dear. Um, Our business is too marginal. And if we lost that little cream of of 10, 20,000 people,
4: we will struggle.
3: We will really struggle. We'll find other ways of surviving, but it won't be what you're seeing now, let me tell you.
4: No, no, I think you're absolutely right. Now, this thing about, you know, don't s- screw your fans, you know, the the bedrock of the bedrock of the sport. And we've reached a point now we've got races all over the place in places that frankly couldn't care less about Formula One or motor racing at all. And, th- and the races have to be run at damn silly times because that's what suits the European audience, you know, which he knows is still the fan base of, of the sport. He's just not giving them any... Races actually go to.
3: You and I know that Abu Dhabi, Singapore, Bahrain, all those circuits, China, um, they will not be here in 20 years' time. No. Nope. No. Nope. Okay. True. It would still be the bedrock. If we've still got Formula 1 cars racing around circuits, the Silverstones, the Nurburgring, the Spars, the yeah. Monaco, yeah. they will always be here. The same is, that's why Williams and McLaren and Ferrari and those sort of teams will always be here um, because they they are the bedrock of, of this wonderful um, business that we're all involved in. Um, a bit like I just said about manufacturers and what Bernie said about them. You know, I don't hear him saying them The same about these circuits, but you and I, and you know, we know that they won't be here for the long haul.
2: Yeah, Um, we have run out of time, which is a real shame. Because, but we do know how important an hour of time is to you now. (laughs) Um, But can I I charge you then?
3: (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Well, that's nothing because I don't charge anybody anything. So just a nice cup of coffee would be great.
2: Right. I, I, what was I going to say, Derek? Oh, yes. We, I don't want to cl- close this show without asking you one more question, and that's because so many of our readers are asking it, and I bet you can guess what it is. It's about not being able to drive at Lotus because, effectively, it appeared. <laughs> yes.
3: um, it's simple, really. Um, I had a contract with Lotus um at the end of 85, uh, the, the shite year at Renault, um, and... Um, I think uh, the deal was done, basically. I'd signed my contract, um, waiting for them to sign theirs. Um, Christmas came. Uh, they asked me to come for a meeting. Um, I thought it was just to uh, sign the contract and give me a few bobs. Uh, and when I got there, uh, I could see that the, the feeling wasn't right, you know, the, the mechanics didn't feel right, the, um, uh, uh, the personnel didn't feel right. And we sat in this office and there was a coldness in the office. And and it was then announced that, it's, uh, I'm really sorry, Derek, but um, I'm afraid we're going to have to back out of this contract. And I said, well, hang on, we've agreed terms, I've signed my contract. I said, uh, w- w- what's, what's the problem here? well Ayrton don't want you as a as a teammate and I thought wow you know why I said you know I said you know I'm an easy guy to get on with and then it become obvious that um, Ayrton um, didn't want me as a teammate because he saw me as a threat uh, I think in terms as a racing driver a threat British being in a British team um, and a, a threat the fact that I think he'd already sussed out that the team was on a an, on a bit of a decline in terms of of, of 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 money and stuff, so it it couldn't give three number one cars and my contractor already said that I had equal rights to the spare car um, and um, Ayrton wanted the uh, the car for himself um, and wanted somebody in there that just bowed down to to whatever he wanted so um I got kicked out of the team. Um, obviously Dumfries came into the team, um, and Ayrton got everything he wanted. He got uh, the two cars. He had full rights on the spare car. Um, and um, when I look back now, um, you have to admire Ayrton for the single-mindedness the, the, and the because he took a lot of flack. People like Nigel um, and the British press. Uh,
4: I do remember well, a conversation with Rhonda on the subject, Derek, I yes. have to say, which <laughs> remains indelibly in my we, mind. Yes, I know.
3: You've got to remember that Ayrton had a lot of flack from the British press, um, and, um, but he stood by his guns. And when you look back again with hindsight, he was right. Yes, he, know, was. He, he was. He was right in the fact that um, what was the best way to further Ayrton Senna's career? And that was not mean Derek Warwick and the
2: team. No, sure, but it might have helped a bit had he spoken to you, bearing in mind that he was the motivation for what they were doing. I mean, I just feel I can't I can't imagine you doing that, okay? And I can't imagine a lot of other drivers doing that. You know that, what, Rob?
3: Is that taking that to one step further? Is that why I didn't get myself into a winning situation? Is that why I didn't win a Grand Prix? Is that why I wasn't a world champion? Because maybe. Was I, maybe I wasn't ruthless enough? And I've said okay. that, I've said that, and actually I was. You know, when I think of the way I used to screw my teammates when I could, um, yeah, I think I was pretty ruthless. When I think that I put, Eddie Cheever my teammate in 89 in the wall at Monaco in qualifying because 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 he buggered my my quickest lap the lap before yeah I think I can be ruthless yeah did did I never talk to you about it he sent me a lovely uh, New Year's card wishing me all the best for 86 i don 't yes, honestly think no, he did i, I don 't honestly think he thought he was doing any harm to me. I think he just thought that I would naturally get another drive somewhere else, you know but of course everything had gone
2: uh, i 've enjoyed this one more than any other i've got to say uh, it 's the times just disappeared um, are you why don 't you write a book? I think you should I think it'd be a big seller i think
3: um, I would love to write a book. But I'd, like everything in my life, I, I would like to do it right. I'd need to put some time to it. I don't want to rattle a book out in six months. It would need to take 18 months. It would need to get a few stories from a few people quickly before they all die. Um, but you know, there's there's chapters in that book about my family, about my uncle Stan, um, about my father that that would just. Be tremendous, and um, and I could now that um, both of them have unfortunately passed away, I could let a few truths out the bag, um, and I'd, I'd love to talk about my brother. Um, I'd like to talk about myself, as you have obviously felt from this hour that's just gone. I'm good at talking. Um, no, but I'd love to love to put on record for um my family my grandchildren um and so on uh, put on record the, the the warwick era if you well, like i really hope it's that, time
2: i really hope that you do and i hope that when you i don't know how long you'll be president for but after that maybe the next big project you know will be your book because it'd be fantastic thank and thank you very much for coming in I, uh, before we all go by the way um if you if you're uh, ever see Derek Warwick in traffic, I suggest you don't go do anything too silly or you'll you'll find yourself in the wall. (laughs) Um, Let me just remind you about our subscription offer, because um, in all seriousness, it is important to us. Um, You can save over £52 when you subscribe to motorsport for two years it's a good saving Um, if you live in the UK that means you'll pay £36.80 for a year which is pretty good and uh, £67.20 for two years and if you look at the cover price you'll see what a bargain that is Um, if you really uh, want to do this then go to our website where there are more details and that of course is uh, motorsportmagazine.com and don't forget that when you do subscribe you get the iPad edition absolutely free And I can assure you that uh, looking at Motorsport Magazine on the iPad is a whole new world. Absolutely fantastic. So thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And thanks, Nigel, to Ed, to uh, our editor, Damien, and Derek. Many
1: thanks. Fantastic to see you. My pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. Bye, everybody.
4: Motorsport Magazine, for the very best in motor racing.